Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war Welcome to Nurses Out Loud. You're expecting Nurse April, and you're thinking, does she have a cold or something? Because this is Nurse Shannon. I have been on the show with her a couple of times, and I have been wanting to feature a show where you get to know the amazing host that you have every Monday with Nurse April. She is an amazing person inside and out. And I told her today, we're sitting down and I'm interviewing you. (laughs) We're not going to talk politics. We're going to laugh a bit. It might spin off because both of us have ADHD. So we're all topic-y, all over bouncing off the walls. But the premise of this show is for you to get to know her as a person, not the crazy committed woman, so to speak. You can take that both ways, who brings to you all of the strife that is happening in this country that she takes to heart. This is just about her today, and I'm honored to be the one to interview her. There are layers like an onion of her. We're going to take each layer off, peel it, peel it, peel it. (laughs) Welcome, April, to your own show. So weird. Thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you for doing all the technical support for your own show. All right. We'll do all the editing and all the things. That's right. Okay. And you can't cut me out this time because oh. I'm the host. Just kidding. <laughs> True. All right. So let's start with a generalization. You live in Texas. Yes. In a beautiful community that many people in the U.S. have actually heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, McKinney. Yeah. McKinney, Texas. Where we both live. Mm-hmm. We're lucky to live here. Yeah. And you're married. Mm-hmm. Yep. Tell Met it. my husband here in McKinney. McKinney, Texas. He's been here longer than I have. How many children do you have? I have six children. Mm-hmm. I know. People are always, what? Okay, so I gave birth to four children, and I was blessed to get two more when I married my husband. So we have a blended family, and um, that's how I got six. And most of them are older. The youngest just turned 16. I saw that. Yeah, Congratulations. Baby. Yeah, he's, thank you. 16 years old. So um, 16 all the way up to 24. That's not that old. Mm-mm. You were like, as if they old, old. Oh, well, old as in like, okay, they're out of high school. They're, yes. They think they're grown, so they do their own thing. And we're just there to kind of... At 24, they should be starting to normalize a little bit. Yeah. Well, still in the yeah. brain set of the 20s. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where did you originally grow up? I grew up in Michigan. I am from Michigan, the state that looks like a mitten. And I actually grew up just north of Eight Mile. So if anybody's ever seen the movie Eight Mile, um, Eminem, that movie mm-hmm. about Detroit. Well, Eight Mile, there is south of Eight Mile is Detroit. And then north of Eight Mile is Southfield. And I grew up in Southfield. Um, right. I was born there. And then I was raised there. High school there. High school, like elementary, middle school, high school. You liked the community that you lived in? 
Mm. So it was nice. It was actually at the time, Southfield was one of the wealthiest cities for minorities to live in. It's a very wealthy city. A lot of educated black people live there. It started off actually when I was really young, there was a lot of Jewish people and you know, the, the schools were very like mixed and all of these things. Like there was lots of different um, ethnicities. ethnicities. Yeah. But then the thing they call white flight happened and all of like my friends just started moving north. Oh, and, mean they left? Yeah, they moved north yeah, of, of Southfield. Hmm. And so um, then it became more um, the terrible terminology they use. I know. Well, and I think that happens in a lot of places. Um, and I understand it. It's not even like I'm going to be like, I get it because what I realized is that black people do the same thing. You ever looked at like some of the wealthy black people? Do they live in the cities they grew up in? Mm-hmm. No, because you want better. You want clean, you know, house and neighborhood and you want other neighbors who take care of their stuff and you want grocery stores and shopping centers and you want safety and good schools. All those things you can't really get in certain areas. Now, not to say I couldn't get that because Southfield is a great place. I mean, good schools and all that. People are looking it up right now. Yeah, right. But um, for me, it was it was good. I mean, I had good friends and all those things, but it wasn't when I was a little girl. Every morning getting ready for school, my dad and mom would have Good Morning America on. And I would always look at the map and I would see the weather and all over the country. And I would always look at Texas. I don't know why. Always look at, I didn't have family in Texas. I didn't know anyone in Texas, but I was always just drawn to Texas. And so, you know, when I finally did end up choosing a place to leave, to go live after leaving Michigan, it was Texas. Like I just wanted to be here and have no idea why. God knows. And so God does know. But I went to um, so I went through high school, got married when I was 17. um, Right. So I graduated early from high school, worked a little so I could save up money. And then right before I started college, my first husband and I got married. I was 17. He was 21. He had just turned 21, though. Um, you knew everything, though. Don't you remember? uh, Knew everything. Mm -hmm. Right. My parents couldn't tell me anything. The way that I convinced because my, my parents had to sign for me to get married. Wow. I was underage. Because you had to sign? Like, I was underage, so they had to sign wow. permission for me. And yeah. they signed? They did. Well, they didn't want to, but I told my dad. So I was the only girl. There was four boys, one girl. There was five of us. And I was my dad's only girl. So he was very protective of me growing up. I couldn't do the things my brothers could do, obviously. And I was like you know, itching to be free. And so I was getting ready to go off to college. And I told my dad, either I go off to college and I party and I, you'll never know where I am, who I'm hanging out with, and I'll do all the college things, or you let me get married and you'll know where I am. And oh, wow. Yeah. Totally manipulative. Totally got him though. Cause he was like, okay. So they did sign for me to get married. And I got married at 17, but I had this plan, right? I was going to get married, but we weren't going to have kids for 10 years. Mm. That was the goal. So How'd that go? Didn't work out because I was pregnant like three months later. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe four You know how later. that works, right? <laughs> yeah. I, well, I was on birth control, mm. that depo. So just. Oh, depo Prevera. Yeah. I haven't heard about that in a while. I know people still use it, but. It doesn't always work because apparently not. No. So that's how I got. So I got pregnant with my first son when I was 18. Um, After I was during my first semester. My parents were like, what about the college promise? Well, 
I was so sick. I had hyperemesis. And so my first semester was a wash because I could not. I was throwing up everything every day, all day. Couldn't hold down anything. I was in the hospital, in and out of the hospital, getting IV fluids, hydration. It was bad. You were like, I want to be a nurse. Yeah. I mean, like, okay. So when people talk about like abortion, I get it. Because when I was pregnant with my son, I was so sick. I was like, I can't do this. I cannot do this. And the thought crossed my mind. Not, I wasn't. Well, because you're in the moment. It's hard to see outside yeah. when you're feeling sick or unwell. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I was 18 years old and I was like, I can't do this. This is horrible. Did your parents come down? They were there. Oh. I mean, I was in Michigan. I, st- I, I didn't move to Michigan until oh. I, I had all my kids. And, oh, yeah. So, th- so they were there. So I had my son. And then um, I breastfed my son. Now, very early on, it was a, um, during my first, it was, um, I don't know, English, it was English writing class, composition or whatever, first semester, we had to do these research papers and I did a research paper and I chose the topic to do on breastfeeding. And I learned so much about breastfeeding. And that was the first introduction I ever had to the world health organization. Oh, back when they were better, Mm. not when they were the baddies. And they were talking about how, you know, all of these like Nestle and all of these formula companies were getting these third world countries to use their products. They were getting women to breastfeed, but they didn't have access to clean water. And they were sending them formula that was contaminated. Oh. It was already contaminated. They couldn't sell it in the States, but then it also had to be mixed. So the women's milk supply would dry up. So then they were required, like they, they were dependent on using the formula and they were just talking about how breast milk is better, all of these things. Well, before America had gone on their, you know, kick on breastfeeding, it was very much, nobody did it. It was gross. Breasts weren't supposed to be, you know, babies weren't supposed to suck on breast, all that. Everybody was bottle fed at that time. And when I did that research paper, I was like, Oh my goodness, I didn't know these things. So of course, I decided to breastfeed my son and that was very difficult. Uh, I mean, breastfeeding is hard. Yeah. People don't, you know, really tell you in advance how hard it is. It's harder so when you're 18. Hard. Oh my gosh, 18 years old, super sore like I mean, just the thought of him wanting well, to nurse can was feel overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. It was painful, 18. you know, cracked bleeding nipples. Mm-hmm. This baby wants to nurse every and this hour. This is the interview of April. <laughs> Sorry, guys. This this is being brought to you by the breastfeeding organization (laughs) of the U.S. I'm all about breastfeeding. I'm telling you, I breastfed my son. And he actually, when I wanted to give up breastfeeding him, he wouldn't let me. I mean, he would not take Did he look at you and say, "Uh uh-uh? I left him with my mom one day. How old was he at the time? He was a few days old. Maybe, Hmm. no, maybe even a few. Yeah, it was a few days or a few weeks, maybe. And he wouldn't take a bottle. And my nipples were so sore. Like, I I mean, I couldn't breastfeed him. It hurt too bad, but he would never take a bottle. So, you know, they always say, well, if they can smell you, then they will be more resistant. So let somebody else have them to give them the bottle. Well, it wasn't working. So we left him at my mom's house all day. That little joker starved himself and cried the whole day, but mm, would not take a bottle. Your poor mom. Yeah, I know. She was like... I do not like being a grandmother <laughs> or her first grandbaby. Well, so he never breastfed. I mean, he never took the bottle. And so I couldn't go back to school. Because- so when you took him back, he attached, you had 24 hours to heal some. And I was still in agony. I tell people, if you can get through the first six weeks, the first six weeks of breastfeeding, 
it'll be it'll get better, but you've got to get through those first six weeks. So I want to jump ahead in time here mm-hmm. to let everyone know she eventually became a labor and delivery nurse. Yes, I did. So hearing if you knew that and you're hearing her talk about breastfeeding <laughs> and you're like, wow, she speaks really well about this. Mm-hmm. But this was when she was 18 and you can tell from her voice that she's no longer 18. Yeah. She worked in L&D for yeah, how long did you work in L&D? 11 years. Mm-hmm. 11 years as a nurse. And then I still assisted in doing C-sections after that. So L&D, women's services is where my passions are. Yep. I love taking care of women and the whole body is, the women's body is incredible. And I learned that. And so, I mean, as a younger child, I didn't appreciate it. And I wasn't comfortable in my skin going through puberty growing up with all the brothers and all the boys around me, I felt like I looked like a boy. I, I mean, just going through puberty sucks. Mm-hmm. And so I just, mm, I didn't like it, but I learned to appreciate the body, the woman's body in particular, when I saw all the amazing things it could do. And so the amazing things that you did. I did. I did. So long story short, I had my son breastfed him for two years and I two became like, years. two years. Well, my last, the baby was breastfed for three years. My youngest, David. Yeah. Okay. Was, so from your first marriage, you had how many children? Four children. All of them. Oh my gosh. Four. We came from the first. Oh, that's right. For 17 years. Wow. Mm-hmm. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. I'm learning stuff about you too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so wow. You were married a long time. A long time. 17 years. Wow. Um, and statistics show when you marry at 17, your marriage will not, it most statistically, if I use the word most, I hate that super generic word, Mm -hmm. will end in divorce. Yeah. Because at 17, your decision-making process is not completely formed. Yeah. But there are people who to this day have been married for 65 years Mm -hmm. and they started at 17 or 18 or 19. So to hear that you at 17 lasted 17 years, that is actually remarkable. You you picked someone who you at least liked. Mm-hmm. And we were committed. We felt like we went into it because we wanted to please God. Mm-hmm. And so when things got really, really hard, we were just like staying because God you, wants us to stay. You're testing us. Yes. Hear you. Yes. You can stop testing us. <laughs> and, I, and, and I stayed as long as I could. And, uh, you know, I hate that I couldn't stay um, or that I chose not to stay and just, you know, because the impact it had on my children, like... That sucks. So anybody who's been through divorce can understand that it just it doesn't just hard. affect you. Yep. It's a whole family and friends and uh-huh. it's a whole it's a blanket or a piece of fabric that you tear and there's so many interwoven threads mm-hmm. and you're tearing it. So you're not the only one who's getting ripped out and, you know, destroyed from a divorce. So it's just rough and it's ongoing. So if you're going through something and there's any opportunity, do everything you can is all I can say. Do everything you can to try and keep it together. And I'm in a position and I, and I feel somewhat guilty sometimes when I talk about it, just because I have an amazing husband and I wouldn't have this amazing husband in this life that I have now if I had stayed, obviously, but we both will always acknowledge that that divorce is hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super hard. Definitely. But backwards, backwards. So I went to Oakland University in Rochester, Michigan. For nursing school. For nursing school, yeah. And so originally I wasn't going to go back to college after I had my son because it was he wouldn't take the bottle. And I didn't know what I wanted to do at the time anyway. 
And I was like, your parents are like, we had a contract. Oh, no, my parents actually didn't push it. They were like, oh. college isn't for everybody. It was my father-in-law. I was going to try and go to MA school. Mm. They had this program and they were, it was on Printing commercials schools or something. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, oh, you can be done in a few months and it's this much. And I was like, I can do that. And he was like, absolutely not. Mm. You're too smart. Not to say the MAs aren't smart. That's not it. But he was just like, you're not going to do that. You're going back to well, college. Because, and starting as an MA means, and there's so many nurses now that start as a medical assistant or a mm-hmm. CNA. When you start as a medical assistant or CNA, it just is a process that takes longer. much longer. Mm-hmm. And it's harder to do when you have young children. Exactly. If you can get your degree or a certificate of some type mm-hmm. before you have a child, life I don't want to yeah. use the word easy, but it is easier than you trying to do it at exactly. night or exactly. remote, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And and my original intent was to go to medical school. Mm-hmm. So I think Thank he you. was looking at it like, wait a minute, you went from going to be a doctor to settling with that. No, you're mm-hmm. not going to settle. You're going to go back to school. We'll help you. So I grudgingly went back and I'm so grateful and so thankful that he pushed me because when I went back, I knew by then what I wanted. I was like, oh. I'll be a nurse. And then... And you were a little bit older. I was a little bit older. You were 20 or something. Mm -hmm. And I decided I'll be a nurse undergrad. Then I'll go to medical school because then I'll have like seen all sides of it. But I'll I'll know like I'll be a better doctor because I know know, the nursing side of it, Mm -hmm. which we're trained differently, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, So I wanted that. But when I finally finished nursing school, I realized that my kids had suffered long enough with Mm -hmm. me being in school and it was time to take a break. So um, for them, I decided not to go back to school. By then you knew you liked labor and delivery through your clinicals. You figured it Mm -hmm. out or you already knew before? I knew before that's what I wanted to do. Um, And when I graduated, I had two options. I was working on the burn unit. Mm. Um, So we went on a tour. One of my professors also worked at this hospital, at Detroit Receiving Hospital. And she took us on a tour and we walked through the burn unit and I was like, I just want to work in a hospital. I don't So care. you've liked skin for a long time. Mm-hmm. The We're going to get into the skin and body mm-hmm. here in a little bit. Yeah. So I we did a tour and the manager happened to be there. And I was like, are you guys hiring? She would, Anyway, I got the job. So my first job at working in the hospital was working on the burn unit. That had been so difficult. It was. It was so difficult, but it was such an incredible moment for me to really uh, grow myself as a person. Because I learned something by working in the burn unit that I couldn't have learned had I not worked there. Mm-hmm. Um, Most people will never work in a burn unit. Yeah. It's a unique yes, uh, department. It is. And and what happens is you realize it can happen to anyone. Mm-hmm. And it just takes an accident, a freak accident to end up with burns. And when you have burns, your life is never the same. Ever. There's no technology there's no medical treatment that we can do to restore the skin to its original original state and when you have had burns you're constantly having to come back for surgeries to have your skin released because it gets so tight and you get um they have to go in there and they have to cut it and release it and do skin grafts so this is an ongoing lifelong thing but what i learned that was fascinating sorry well i was gonna say burns that happen in areas that have the most impact being things like they inhibit your ability to eat mm-hmm. or swallow hands, um, genitals, mm-hmm. and feet. Mm-hmm. Um, make it hard to continue with normal life processes. So yeah. there are people who have burns on their chest, 
they still have this long road to recovery, but someone who has burned both hands and their chest have even more with um, infections mm-hmm. and things because their hands, they need to use their hands. For yeah. Things. Yeah. And I learned so much, which is, you know, fast forward now, when you guys hear me talking about honey, I didn't know this at the time, but working burns, we used to use silvadine. Um, silvadine nitrate. Yep. So when we would do a dressing, what would happen is a patient will come in with their burns and they would come straight to, we had these big, huge tubs that we would clean them. We would, we had showers, we had tubs of different sizes and we had tanks, but we had all these, depending on where your burn was. And my job as a student nurse, uh, my, my, my title was student nurse associate, but basically I was like a technician MA or nursing assistant. Mm -hmm is that I would do the dressing changes for patients. Ouch. And so whether they just came up from the ER or care flighted in or whatever, like they would come and we would take them to the back and debride them. Debriding meaning we would clean up all of the tissue, all of the tissue that was sloughing off and coming off. We would peel it all off. Do you sedate them first? Yeah. Well, we would give them 10 milligrams of morphine IV. Mm. Never enough. Telling that, I was going to say, tell the public that doesn't. Doesn't, It might take the very edge off, but which is why we say when someone has a severe burn, do not wrap it. Mm. Try immediately to remove things from the skin like jewelry or mm-hmm. say yes. um, remnants of clothing is on the burn. Even though in the moment it might bother them, it will absolutely help them because when they get to the hospital, it has to be debrided. Mm-hmm. And any gravel that's mm-hmm. in it or the shirt is partially attached yeah. is absolutely painstaking yeah. and horrific for the patient. It's horrible. And I will say one thing as a person, just safety, we're going into burns now. Burns are a reason why we say use 911. Mm -hmm. Don't drive someone to a hospital because most hospitals do not specialize in burns. And if they don't have a burn unit, you're screwed. Right. And if you want, I use burns example when someone's like, well, I'm having a heart attack, you know, I'll just drive. Okay. The hospital near you, they can help you, but they may not be the best one. They'll probably have to transfer you Mm -hmm. because they don't specialize in that. Mm -hmm. What if your friend was on fire and you had to say, stop, drop, and roll? Would you throw the body in a car and drive them to a hospital? No, you'd call 911. And 911 is going to know where the best treatment might be. And Mm -hmm. it's probably not going to be in your neighborhood. Very true. It may be life lighted Mm -hmm. two hours from you and you'll be mad. But Mm -hmm. guess what? Would you like them to be treated at a local hospital? No. No, no, because Burns is very, very Burns um, is special, special. We do have to go to break real quick. But on the other side of the break, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the the Burns and what what I've learned from working in Burns, which is, I think, and, and I've used it on my family and it works amazing. I wish I had known this when I was. And I definitely want to hear about that. OK, so we'll come back on the break. Wait, I'm supposed to say oh, that. I'm sorry. OK, OK, we're going to take a break. It's time and this is These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. 
boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Well, the OutLoud truth was the rallying call that started it all. A wide spectrum of programming from world and political news to societal, your health, and cultural stories. Seven amazing years of news stories, informative podcasts, and great talk radio. America Out Loud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. Okay, we're back. It's still me. Sorry, it's not April. (laughs) Although she's going to join us because now she's going to speak a little more about burns because she's going to tell us about a home remedy that Mm -hmm. she has created Mm -hmm. that you don't have to order on Amazon. Is Amazon our sponsor today, by the way? They'll never sponsor us. They don't even want this. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) But so. So And it's not even a home remedy that I created. mm -hmm. God made it. God made it. But I wish I would have known back then because. We did this, like I said, we would do sylvadine dressings. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone got infected. Everyone got pseudomonas. Mm. And that's a smell I'll never forget. And I can, yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's a, it's a sweet smell. It's a, it's very different. It's a, anyway. Um, and then we would do these bacitracin. We would do triple and zero form dressing. Mm. So we would, you oh know, yeah clean them up. And depending on the patient's burns, you might have um, once daily dressing changes or twice daily dressing changes. The things that I saw, like the amount of swelling the body can do is incredible. Mm -hmm. Like amazing. Anyway, honey, honey is what they use in other countries for burns, not in America Mm -hmm. because America couldn't make money off of honey. Mm -hmm. So, but in other countries they use honey and it's amazing. So, cause, and you guys have heard me talk about it before, but I've done it. I've used it on my son's burns, his burn. Actually, you can barely see And you it. worked at a burn center. Exactly. Um, and I've used it on deep wounds. I tell people all the time, if somebody's got, you know, a wound, put the honey on it. They're like, put it on the, like in the, put it in the wound bed. Yes. Put it directly on the tissue. But do you do it? You know, when a burn first happens Mm -hmm. and we say run it under cool water for 15 or 20 minutes if needed, and that's because your bone is Tupperware and it will hold the heat and all this, whatever. But are you saying instead of cool water, are you saying after you've cooled it? After just just as um, a medication option Mm. because honey turns into hydrogen peroxide. So Mm. and the viscosity of honey doesn't allow it, it. 
osmosis, uh, this, it pulls the water off of the bacterial cells and then they, they, they die. And then it also turns into hydrogen peroxide. So that's another way that it kills um, bacteria. And then um, it keeps the wound bed moist. It does so many things. It's just an incredible substance. Do you put it under a dressing or do you Mm -hmm. leave it breathing in the air? You can actually buy um, Manuka honey bandages now at CVS. Manuka? Mm Mm-hmm. Manuka honey. honey, which is a special honey that comes from Australia. You can use raw honey as well, but I mean, the Manuka honey seems to be really good for wound care. Um, you guys can get it. Last I checked, you could get it at Costco um, for a pretty good price, but it is the more expensive honey, but it's excellent. Excellent for any kind of wound. Well, and if you're using it only for burns, you probably won't use it. Not just often. burns. Oh, wounds. Oh, wounds any in general. Wounds. Any wounds. Um, any breaks in the Texas skin. mosquito bites. Oh, or no I should have. The other day I was gardening <laughs> and I stuck my hand in the dirt and these darn fire ants got <gasps> me. Oh, I see it on so your palm. Long. Yeah. And it hurt for so long. Um, oh, yeah. But I didn't think to put honey on it. That's so stupid. I should have well, You that. could create probably a honey salve. Yeah. And just that you can sell in a little tub. Mm-hmm. You love all those natural products. I do. I do. I'm all about it. She is layers of onion. Okay. We're okay. going to keep going. Yeah. So. Oh, wait. Sorry, I forgot to say what I learned. You are. Okay, this is what I learned about the burns. Please, please continue. Because I think I try to teach it to my children. Okay. I want everybody to know. So what I learned is that a person could get burned in a fire completely, like their whole body has been totally changed. they, They don't look the same. They have limbs that get amputated. They end up, you know, with no arms, no legs, like everything we do to try and save a person's life. They can, I mean, we had patients who had been in the hospital for over a year Mm. trying to recover from their wound, from their burns. Right. But here's what I realized. If we've all, if we all experience that, a burn, your outside gets changed, your life gets changed, your house may get burned down. All the things that you have are gone. Your exterior is gone, but what remains? Because whatever remains, that is who you are. Your drive, your faith, your... What defines you are the things that can't be taken away if you were burned in a fire. Interesting. And when you think about that, so a lot of people will define themselves according to their exterior or according to things they have or according to things they've accomplished, things like that, things that could be taken away. And so I think the reason why so many people struggle right now in our society and in this generation is because they don't know who they are. And that was my struggle is, you know, um, growing up and not feeling like you're good enough, not feeling like you're pretty enough or not, you're not smart enough, or you don't have the good clothes or you don't live in the right area. And those things will weigh so heavy on you that you walk around feeling insecure and unsure of yourself. But it's when you find out who you are, when you can define yourself according to the things that can't be taken away, mm. then people can't tear you down. People don't have power over you the way they used to. Men used to be able to manipulate me because I defined myself according to the things like if a guy told me I was pretty, I felt better about myself. I felt confident. And I needed that. I needed that constant you felt you needed it. I thought I needed it because that's how I defined myself. Mm-hmm. And when I realized from watching these patients go through what they went through and realizing the person that they were hadn't changed on the inside of them, that person was still there. 
their exterior changed, but their interior stayed the same. So that's when I started to really take this road and travel down this road of understanding, you know, what defines a person? What are the things that God looks at? God looks at the things that, okay, what are your interests? What are the things that you're good at? What are, um, you know, are you one who is uh, all about acts of service or someone who is a, you know, a giver or someone who is artistic or all of those things are the things that define you. So then when other people come in and say, you know, like for instance, this whole race war that they're trying to instigate in America, it wouldn't even matter if people realized it doesn't matter. You could tell me I'm black. You can tell me I'm a woman. You can tell me I'm ugly. You can tell me all these things. So what? Because none of those things define me. Mm-hmm. And then you take back the power. They ha- they can't control you. They can't manipulate you. You win. Mm-hmm. That's all. I- that's what I learned from working on the burn unit. And I think with this race war, mm-hmm. as a nurse, I think about how it doesn't matter how vile people are, like the people that you like the least mm-hmm. that you see on the news. It doesn't matter what country people are from. It doesn't matter the nationality of the race. And even how people are trying to change their bodies we're literally built the same. Yes. Our, well, there's always an exception to every rule, but generally speaking, our hearts are in the center. There are some people that their heart is on the opposite, on the, instead of slightly mm-hmm. to the left, slightly to the right. But generally speaking, the the webbing we have of veins yes. in our arms and our hands is a reason I like to draw the hands because even if I can't see your veins at all because of the color of your skin, I can find it with my eyes practically closed. Yeah. We're all the same. Mm-hmm. And yet out there in the world, you could be screaming and yelling and being a vile person and saying things that aren't even true, but then you get sick and you come yes. into the hospital and you're just a person. And I I won't even know that you're that person online that was bullying people or whatever. And if I knew, I, I still have to treat you the same, but yeah. physically, physically, your body is the same as the person you are bullying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're literally a bunch of the same people. I mean, you may be, he may be a woman and I'm a man or back, I can't, well, I never know now, Yeah, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> I said that backwards, but you really never know. <laughs> so uh, my point is that sometimes I'm watching these things that are happening and I'm thinking to myself of a medical standpoint, we're just human. What are they trying to do to everyone? Exactly. We're really just people. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that's so amazing that people don't realize is when you cut someone's body open and look on the inside, exactly. you would never know whether it was a black person or a white person or an Indian person or an Asian person. If they're all draped with blue drapes and all you're doing is looking in the body, you cannot tell. Exactly. The, the thinnest layer of tissue on our body, the, the, the epidermis. There, where you see the color of our skin. It's so paper thin, you guys. It's ridiculous that we're even having conversations that we have about race because it's insignificant. Underneath that epidermis, every other layer is the same. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It is. Yeah. And last thing I'll say about that is we were at a point in our society that we all, I don't, I don't know if you use the word love, we were all raised within other races Mm -hmm. it's a melting pot so many parts of this country we didn't know how to judge other people Mm -hmm. i wasn't raised like that because i was a minority i'm caucasian i was i got a minority scholarship at my high school because i was not the 
most populous race where I grew up in the Bay Area. It was there were 33 languages in my high school. Um, our high school was featured in Time magazine. My sister was actually in the article and it showed her cheerleading squad in a, in a uh, what do you call it? A pyramid pyramid. Mm-hmm. And she was the only Caucasian one. And it said at a high school in the Bay Area, there are 33 languages spoken. Wow. And this represents all, it was like a dozen mm-hmm. girls, nationalities, all different in that pyramid. Wow. That's pretty cool. When you grow up like that, when something like this happens mm-hmm. nationally, mm-hmm. and then someone says to you, well, you need to prove that you're not a racist. Yeah. What? It's not even worth the conversation. It's you not. don't even know me. Yes, there are racists in this country. I know it. Mm-hmm. But the majority, we've talked about how there's four or 500 million people in this mm-hmm. country. The majority of people mm-hmm. are not. Yeah. And, and even the thing that I learned from being a nurse and taking care of patients, like once you have someone in the gown, and it's like the great equalizer to me like, or in pain or in pain. Like you have, once you have a patient in front of you, it doesn't matter. Their status doesn't matter because they're still your patient and their money's not going to get them anywhere in the hospital. They might be able to get a VIP, you know, label on their chart, but they know someone and they're going to say, mm-hmm. I've been waiting in the waiting room too long. I know this guy's dying, but I've been waiting longer yeah. than him. Yeah. I mean, like, y- yeah, there's some people who maybe because they have money can be VIPs in the hospital. We do have those, but ultimately it's still going to come down to you're a patient you need me to take care of you. And I don't care if you're at a CEO at a hospital or you're a homeless person, I'm going to give you the same care. Like you need me to help you. You are in a situation. Um, and, and that to me helped me to realize like, we're all the same. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care who you are. Bill Gates one day is going to end up in a hospital and he's going to be just as broken and just as needy as, as me as anyone else. And in those moments, that's when people actually start to show their true colors. Be vulnerable. Like, they're vulnerable and they show like, even though they may be air quotes here, racist, they, those walls come down. You really become, um, when you have those intimate moments with people, you really get to know people and you really get a chance to see past that. And that's what we need as a society is to have moments where we can actually come together. Like we used to. Yeah. And, and, and see each other in vulnerable places and see that I don't care what color your skin is. You hurt just like I hurt. We're just people. Right. Like even these people that are looting mm-hmm. every day in San Francisco, these criminals. Mm-hmm. And some people will say, oh, well, they just don't have food. No, there's organized crime that has come into California mm-hmm. because of that ridiculous, if it's not $950 of theft, they can't be charged with a felony or whatnot. There are people from other countries that have come in to steal and they wow. will be in the store calculating mm. that, that what they're stealing is less than $950. Wow. Yeah. So my point in saying that was, oh, anyone a criminal, mm-hmm. we're just people. Yep. Anything that's happening, all this ridiculous stuff and carjacking, they're even the ones who are committing the crime, the victims of the shooting. Yep. Everyone is, they were just functioning. We were just talking about this in the other show. These people were just their normal lives. Yep. People are allowed to and should in this country be able to live their lives, regardless of what stupid things the government is proposing mm-hmm. or how they're arguing. Mm-hmm. We should all just be allowed to live together here. April and I are friends. It's never crossed our minds to be like, she's black and she's white. Right. Oh, isn't that great that they're friends? 
we're people. Right. Like it's not even like that, mm-hmm. but now people want to make it like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. Last night, um, my daughter's friend turned 22. And so yesterday was her birthday. So her friends came over um, and we have kids with birthday. birthdays close to each other. <gasps> it's like nonstop. Like everybody's birthdays are just like, anyway, I can't get a break. <laughs> so she was over and her dad just died. So oh. she, my daughter wanted to really kind of make sure her birthday was good. So she was there and some of her friends came to and to have cake and stuff. And one of the friends came over and he had he had these piercings everywhere. He had these horns coming out of his head. She's putting her fingers above her eyebrows yeah, and like on the skin. sides of the nose above the nostril. Mm-hmm, between like the eyes. Where the bones are, where you used to be able to put pressure supposedly to stop a nosebleed. And you're like, why? There's what? only bones here. Right. That's where she said that they had piercings. He had piercings there. He had um, these horns coming out there. <gasps> he had horns coming out here. He had oh piercings God. everywhere. Tattoos. This is my daughter's friend that she went to high school with. And was he super nice? Yes. But he but he was distracting. <laughs> yeah. And, and when I was talking to him, my husband was talking to him. And we we're just like, okay, so you got to tell us like what happened, what's going on. But if you saw this kid, you, you would you understandably be, be worried. Right. And you would think your first thought, neo-Nazi. Is he white? Yeah. Oh, probably. I don't you know would, if the words neo-Nazi would enter my mind, but I know, but that's the that's living the in a compound or that, something. Well, so for black people, like the narrative right now that's going around all like MSNBC and CNN and all that is all everybody white is racist. Everybody yeah. white is a Nazi. So you would see this kid and you would automatically think he's racist, blah, 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 all these things. And you would not. And so that's looking on the surface and not realizing like he's he's great friends with black people, with white people, with Asian people, like he is far from a Nazi sweetheart, sweetheart. And you just look at him and be like, oh my gosh, you'd be very like, whoa, that's not him. That's not his personality. And so we're so quick to judge people mm-hmm. and we would be so quick to say, oh, he's racist. Or well, he would make it that. a little hard for someone not, I mean, oh, his yeah. view is very extreme. Very like he's a, but he's a, he's a 19 year old, maybe, maybe almost 20. Um, who's, you know, of course, his parents don't want him doing all that, but you know, and 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 turns out that they were actually glued on. Oh, geez, thank God. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, good. Okay, it's glue. Um, but you know, just experiencing what it's like to be an adult right now, and just kind of push back against authority, and we're just, trying to find your way. Yeah, trying to find your way. Like, did you read? We're totally going off topic. Yeah. There was a high schooler in it said in Antioch. So I thought it was in California, Antioch, but I guess it was like in Connecticut or Mm -hmm. somewhere else. A teacher took the phone away from a student and the student pepper sprayed the teacher to get the phone back. Whoa. Yeah. In the middle of the school day. And while she's pepper spraying the teacher, the teacher would not let go of the phone and said, you can't, he's bawling. It's like, you know, if you got pepper sprayed in the directly in the face Mm -hmm. in school, would she never got the phone from him, even though he was pepper spray? Listen, and I was so. Then they said they arrested the student. I'm thinking in California. Wow. And then no, it wasn't California. Oh. It was in uh, some other state. I'm sure I could find it online. I can't believe he did that, but I can because I've seen it. How my kids react when they get their phones taken, and I think I've even talked about this before. Okay, can you? Who raised that child to think that? You took my phone. I can and will pepper spray you, pepper spray, not push you or punch you, pepper spray you in school. 
These kids are in different. front of witnesses. These kids are different. Let me tell you, Sunday, Easter Sunday. What did they think the end result was going to be? I know they're at that point in their brain, but it, would the teacher just give them the phone and they're going to be like, thanks and walk away and leave the teacher puking and having all their mucus coming out of their nose and eyes. And they'll be like, school day can continue and they're not going to get in trouble. Right. Well, Easter Sunday, right? You know, I, I go to a church that mm-hmm. I go to First Baptist Dallas. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you guys go online, watch it. Great mm-hmm. services. Love my church. Easter Sunday, during service, all of a sudden, you hear this girl scream out, she took my phone. In the middle of a service? Yes. And loud. And like, you're like, what is she screaming? She took my How phone. How old does she sound? A teenager. Oh. And I'm like, these kids are just insane now. Their phones. These children are our future. <laughs> oh, gosh. Help us. They can't, they can't handle getting their phones taken. So I said that. Like you said that he pepper spray. I'm not surprised because Easter Sunday at this big church and you don't care that it's quiet and everybody is like, you know, trying to pay attention to service. You scream. You should see the video online. Out. It's a video of her pepper spraying and she's reaching under him trying to grab the phone while she's pepper spraying. And she's saying, you can't take my phone. I'm taking my phone. And he's like, no, you're not. Oh, and so it was a girl. Who it's did a it. girl that pepper sprayed him. Wow. Yeah. That makes me, I'm just so glad my kids aren't in school anymore. Okay. How much time do we have? <laughs> we got 10 minutes. Okay. 10, minutes. 10 minutes. Okay. Cause I really want to jump Eight. into, okay. so April, and I have so many of the things I wanted to ask her about. She has a school program where she gives CEs out. She's written two books where second book is in process. But what I really want to get to is that she has this passion. It's amazing. I like to say a freaking amazing when it's really amazing (laughs) where she actually creates what looks like a cadaver. If you know what a cadaver is, is a body for research. She molds them by hand, not just a what look like a full body mannequin, but you can take the layers off as if you were doing surgery, and she has created every single anatomical, correct organ, vessel, eyes, everything. It is insane. It is the most amazing product. And I want to find out what started it. I want her to tell you where the website is. This is not in any way to have her sell a bunch of products, but I will tell you what I've said to her a million times, a college, a medical school, a high school that focuses on medical, mm-hmm. this product is so wonderful. And it's it's not created by machine, folks. Mm-hmm. She does it by hand with these molds. You have to go on this website, she's going to tell you, and just look at some of the things she's created. Yes. You will be shocked. And I'm, <laughs> I'm not just saying that because I'm her friend. When I first met her, she's like, let me just show you what I've been working on. I was blown. Oh, I'm like, what? why are you still working? She's like, well, it's kind of hard to promote this. It's, you know, I'd have to, especially during COVID, I have to walk into hospitals and no one really wants to talk to me. So mm-hmm. yeah. if here's what I want to ask this listening public. If you go to this website and you see what I think you're going to see and feel the way I feel with how impressed you'll be and knowing who April is as a person, even before you heard all this background stuff, <laughs> If you know of a college or a school or a hospital, a research hospital that might benefit from something like this, 
reach out to her or have them reach out through the website. It's really a very genuine American-made product. And she absolutely puts all of her effort into it. It's really remarkable. What's the website? It's thesurgerystudio.com. Thesurgerystudio.com. If you're driving and listening, I'll say it slowly. The studio. The surgery. Surgery. (laughs) (laughs) Surgery studio.com. So when you pull over, you can look at that. Yeah. Okay. So so how did you decide to start it? So when I first became a first assistant in surgery, I... Which means what? um, So what... The surgeon, you have your primary surgeon, and then you have your first assistant. It can be another surgeon, or it can actually be uh, a registered nurse first assistant. It could be a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant, or they have um, surgical techs who go on and do training. They become um, surgical um, first assistants, all different. So different professionals who can um, act in the role as the second surgeon. That's a big deal. Yeah. And um, it's amazing. I love like anatomy, the human body. Because she works in the OR now. She does not work in labor and delivery. Right. So I don't do L&D anymore um, because I found myself instead of like wanting to like circulate the case, the C-section, I was just enamored. I didn't want to chart. I wanted to like watch the surgery, watch like this doctor cut the layers and the layers and the blood and i love blood. I, ever since i was a little I love girl blood, I, she love says. Blood. I do i think it's beautiful and so as long as it stays in the body where it belongs well i mean even if it comes right. out you know well so if it comes out when it's supposed to come out right. how's that i used to save the tissues from when i had a nosebleed because it was so pretty to me i thought it was okay that <laughs> so weird is not normal i know i was little i loved it you're telling the public your weirdness I now when okay. i was little my me and my friend we would walk up to the hospital and just eat in the cafeteria because i wanted to just be in the hospital it was weird you were meant to be in the hospital mm-hmm. okay so, so but i've also always loved art my mom's an artist my family i have a lot of artists in my family and um but i wasn't good at it i just like really liked it decorating and things like that. Well, um, when I was assisting, I had to do things like the doctors would be like, okay, hey, you close this patient up. And I'm like, I don't know how, like, Mm -hmm. uh, but you don't want to say you don't know how you're, you know, a whole room full of people. You just want to screw up. You don't, I don't want to screw up, but at the same time, I don't want to look like I'm, you know, but you know, I'm working with surgeons who didn't always know whether or not I'd been doing it forever for a short period of time. They didn't know my skill set. So what did you do? So I would do it. I would just close it and it would take me forever. And everybody would be in the room staring at me and I'd be shaking and sweating. And I'm like, this sucks. But, you know, and so it took me a long time to close. But I I mean, I would do it. And, you know, eventually I learned Later how they'd to say, uh, that was a roundabout way of doing that. Mm-hmm, yeah. Sometimes, you know, it was like, oh, why should you do that? But, you know, I was learning and I, and I hated that feeling, that feeling of not knowing what I was doing. And so I was like, there's got to be a way for me to practice, not on my patients, but just because pra- I would get pulled into all different types of surgeries. So all I had was L&D background. So when I started assisting in surgery, I was doing spines and ortho and I was doing neuro and I was doing general surgery and I was doing colorectal surgery, all these different surgeries I'd never even seen before. In parts of the body you hadn't in parts seen. Of the, yeah, I had never seen, never been in. And I didn't understand the anatomy. Sounds funny. I've never been in that. Yeah, part. yeah. 
And there's still parts I haven't been in. Um, but I didn't understand the anatomy. I didn't understand the procedure. I didn't know the instruments, all of those things. And so you might, the doctor might say, Hey, I need you to like, so the, the, the case that took me over the edge, I was assisting, um, a, a general surgeon who was doing a colorectal case. He was doing a reanastomosis of the bowel. So he was taking uh, a person had had, um, an ostomy because mm-hmm. they had had a bowel injury. So after so long, some patients can actually have their bowel reconnected after it's had time to heal. And so this was an older gentleman and we had taken down and the surgeon has spent all this time taking down the bowel. It was a late surgery too. It was late in the evening and I was tired. Anyway, we, there's a certain kind of stapler that you use to reconnect the colon delicate, to the anus. Del- and it's a delicate tissue yes. and it's in- internal. Yes. And, and so we, you know, he had done this, he had taken down the bowel as much as he could all the way up to the transverse colon. Mm. And brought it all the way back down to the rectum. And we needed to reconnect it. There wasn't a lot of wiggle room because it was just, you know, he just didn't have a lot of of colon left. And so the stapler I had never used. Well, maybe I had used it. No, I don't even know if I'd ever used it before. And so I didn't know how to use this instrument. So he was telling me what to do from the robot console. And so I put it in and he's like, you got to make sure that it goes into this zone. You know, you're, you want to turn it so many times until it gets to this section. And then you pull the um, handle and then that would fire off the staples and it goes in a circle. Mm. And then when you're done, you pull out the stapler and you want to make sure that there's like this donut of tissue within there and you know that it's gone all the way around. And, and when I went to fire off the stapler, it didn't feel like it fired off all the way. And I was like, I need you to check it. And he wouldn't, he was just an honorary surgeon, surgeon and he wouldn't check it. And he was just like, just, you know, just take it out, take it out. It didn't work. So he had to take down more bowel in order to get it to connect. And there was a chance that he wasn't going to be able to, and this person was going to end up with an ostomy mm. for the rest of their life. And I was so angry because one, I felt like I should have been more courageous and I should have just stopped and, you know, stopped the line and said, no, you get over here right now. You check this, you know, I've been more bold and I was too timid. And I felt like my, um, my fear and my, um, my lack of training and all these things, like, I felt like I hurt that patient. Well, you also had a lack of experience of people, I wouldn't use the word confrontation, but yeah, yeah. you don't like right what am, what's the word confrontation I'm of? confrontation yeah. thank and you I mean, the aggressiveness and i just didn't you know i shrunk under that whereas and... now you've done this long enough that you actually have a spine right right i didn't have a spine at the beginning either but i got a really stiff spine now yeah you learn that over time but you mm-hmm. don't have it and so you think about the patients in the wake of you learning to be a better nurse and and i felt like okay i could see working with other surgeons because I worked with so many, mm-hmm. some who were confident and some who were not, some who were really skilled and some who were not. So it wasn't just this one surgeon. It was many surgeons who I saw who were injuring patients because they just didn't have the skill set. It wasn't because they were bad people, but they didn't have a place to practice either. They would get new instruments and they didn't have a chance to like learn how to do it in advance. Like it was something that here's the new instrument, the supply chain changed here you go. And we had to figure it out during surgery. And I thought this is so unfair because I have a son who's had a lot of surgeries and, and I didn't want them practicing on him. Mm -hmm. And I thought no one wants to be practiced on. So I decided there's got to be a better way. I prayed and I prayed because I was done after that surgery. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I quit. 
And God was like, this is what I want you to do. I want you to do this. And I was like, okay. And that was the beginning of this road that I took to learn how to, um, to learn how to sculpt. Because the body, the fabric is made of, the skin is made of. Um, I use various different silicones, rubbers, silicones, mm-hmm. um, and I try to make it feel as realistic as possible because one of the things is you have to understand how to use a tool, how to use an instrument, how to tie. Sometimes you want to put a lot of pressure or you want to put a little pressure. Some tissue is more delicate. And the thing is that if you don't know that and you can't practice that and get that muscle memory, then you hurt people. And my goal was to prevent that. So, And so when I say that this is an amazing product, just listening to how much talent mm-hmm. and detail how many hours does it take for you to make a body like that months yeah it takes several i'm months. saying it's like mm-hmm. it's an entire body mm-hmm. an entire body <laughs> it's not the shell of a body i have a full-size mannequin and it is hollow inside it's anatomically <laughs> correct but it is hollow inside mm-hmm. it would be a mannequin that was built from the outside going in. And if I opened my mannequin up, every single part, the lungs, the heart, the vessels, all the intestines, everything would be in the anatomically correct place mm-hmm. with the inner tissues having a different texture of the way they would feel in the body and the moisture. This is an amazing product. I should be in sales. You should be. Like, no, you shouldn't. <laughs> you have ADHD. You should not be in sales. Same here. But Same here. you should go to the website, even if you're just curious and you want to take a look. Yeah. I really hope that if there's 100,000 people listening, that five people, oh, I hope that 10 people are curious enough to shoot it off to someone. Mm. And I hope that five of those places actually contact April. Oh, I mean, cool. I don't have super lofty goals. I'm a reasonable person. <laughs> But I actually, she's not just a great person. She really genuinely cares. Aww, I hope you yeah. can hear that from all of her other broadcasts. She's mm-hmm. a really amazing person. I know we're, we're probably out of time now, but yeah, we are. That sucks. I'm so yeah. glad to have been your host today. Thank you. I'd like to say I'm here all week. Just tip your waitresses. <laughs> so I'm going to hand this back to April. And thanks for having me. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for interviewing me. And I'm sorry that we got way off topic. We could talk for hours. Yes, we, we always do. But um, yeah, so thanks for listening. This is Nurses Out Loud. We are here Monday through Friday, uh, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time with an encore at 11 p.m. And then you also know the podcast, it goes, the shows go to podcasts about a day or two after they air. Listen to any of our shows on any of your favorite podcasting apps. This is Nurses Out Loud. And my goal here is to shine a light in the darkness. It's time.